evening. And let's stand all over the house this evening. We welcome you to church tonight. Let's all sing an old hymn of the church, page 240 in the red back hymnal. Or it'll be on your screens there this evening. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let's worship the Lord. Touch them and heal them and make a way. 
for them to soon be back into the house of God together to worship with other believers. And Father, we commit the remaining portion of this service into the all-loving arms of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the people of God together said amen. Amen. And will you take this time to greet one another in the Lord. God bless you. remain standing this evening as we continue to worship the Lord, singing some old praise choruses. Some of these you will know. We have sang them around here before, so let's worship the Lord.
Father, Lord, we thank you today that you truly are our heart's desire. Father, you are more than enough. You are all we need. Father, I believe today that, Lord, we can trust you in all things, and we have seen your hand in all things. But, Lord, even on this Sunday night, God, where sometimes it's a struggle to get up and to get going and to come back into your house again, Lord, I still thank you that you meet us even on Sunday nights in your presence. And you come down and you, even if it's in the still smallness and quietness of a voice, God, we thank you we feel your presence. God, it is the encouragement that gets us through the week. It is your presence that helps us sustain us until we get through, God, the next appointed time we gather. God, there are so many people today who would have loved to trade places with us, would have loved to come to church, would have loved to have been able to do stuff with family and friends, but due to sickness or due to surgery or recovering from surgery, they were providentially hindered to be unable to do anything else. God, we are a blessed people. We are a people that, by all means, God, should be grateful and thankful to you and bless your name. Fathers, we get ready to unfurl the pages of scriptures and hear your words spoke to our hearts. God, I know we have food in the back. And Lord, I pray today you would just God, come down in our midst tonight. Just speak to our hearts. Encourage somebody tonight. So when they leave this place, they can truly say it was good to be in God's house. Father, I pray that you would bless us tonight. God, that you would continue to lead and guide your church according, God, to the way you desire for it to be led. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The people of God together said amen. 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 If you'll grab your Bibles again and go to the book of Haggai, chapter number 2. We're going to pick up in verse number 6 tonight, Haggai chapter 2. We'll pick up in verse number 6 tonight. We say while you're turning there, thank you to all of you who have been praying and uh, keeping up to date with Sadie. Uh, she uh, was very tired today when we went by. Uh, we didn't stay very long in the room with her, but she um, was doing much better, sat up in a chair for a little while today, was able to go to the restroom today on her own, which is a big deal post-surgery, um, and was able to do quite, quite a lot that even the neurosurgeons and the doctors uh, and they were just stunned and amazed at her progression and uh, but I, I'm not amazed because of the doctors because I know when God gets into it he never ceases to amaze he knows what he's doing and uh, so it's a beautiful beautiful um, encouragement to us to know that uh, even in all of this God's hand has been seen been seen in the OR and the operating room, but he's also been seen in the recovery as she is advancing. I, that doesn't mean we still don't have some challenges. We're still going to pray for her, Sister Buell, the same way she's feeling a little bit better, but still under the weather. Miss Brenda Frierson is feeling much better. She thought she would be worse after surgery than she anticipated. She's not running a marathon yet, but she certainly uh, feels like that the Lord has helped her navigate where she's been so far. And uh, to God be the glory all of that. Haggai chapter 2, we'll pick up at verse number 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations, talking about the, the coming of Christ, 
And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. For the glory of this house, of the latter house, excuse me, of this temple, shall be greater than that of the former, says the Lord. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord. We started last Sunday night, and we're finished tonight. A message entitled, The Holding the Glory. The Holding the Glory. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, thank you today for one more opportunity to read your word, study your word, share your word with the people of God. God, I don't know who may be watching online or who may stream this service at a later date, but I pray whenever they tune in, or maybe they're already in-house tonight, that something in this word would speak to their hearts and encourage them and help them to leave here different than the way they came and encouraged, maybe challenged, chastised, but ultimately changed by the power and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Let your words be spoken, not mine, so that you're edified and lifted up. Lord, we continue to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Christ Jesus, we pray and ask these things. And together the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Beholding the glory of God. I shared with you last week that in 538 B.C., Cyrus, king of Persia, issued a decree that the Jewish people could return back to Jerusalem to build the temple. You can find that in Ezra chapter 1 through 4, led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel, or Shezbazer, if you read it in the book of Ezra. About 50,000 of them traveled. They began to work on this temple, beginning to refurbish it. But after the foundation was completed about two years later and there was months rejoicing, their success was aroused by their enemies and their, their, if you will, joy turned into frustration and political and religious implications began to manifest themselves and those began to oppose the project and it kind of got stalwart. But by the time 520 B.C. rolls around, 522 B.C. rolls around, King Darius the Great gives them the resourcing to finish the job. Darius is interested in the religious empire, and he sends Haggai and Zechariah, two of the contemporaries of the day, they begin to preach, and Haggai approaches King Darius to convince him of this completion of God's temple, which would happen in 516. In chapter 2, we have read about the coming of the Messiah that we have to call the desire of all nations. We have talked about the infilling of this rebuilt temple with God's glory. Later in this chapter, we find that Zerubbabel is considered a signet ring upon God's hand. They're tied to the judgment seat of Christ, the second coming of Christ. We began this talk about the past. We talked about understanding and appreciation of the past. We talked about who was left from the past, those that could remember. Verse 3 was talking about how many of you remember what the past was like and and they were questioning and asking that rhetorical question about getting a perspective of what life used to be like. And then we went on to talk about the present condition where they began to ask the people and said, right now be strong. We've got to finish the job in verse 4 now. We have to do the job today. We can't wait. And God encouraged Zerubbabel and Joshua who was the high priest. And we talked about David doing the same with Solomon when Solomon was building his temple in First Chronicles 28. That David told Solomon, be strong and of good courage. You can do this. You can finish the first temple. You can finish the job. And the perception, if you will, of the present. 
So we know there's a perception of the past. We know there was a perception of the present. But today I want to pick up on the perception of the promises. See, when God starts something, He doesn't just say it to just waste His breath. When God says something, He means business. In fact, the Bible is very clear and it tells us throughout the words of God that God's promises are forever settled. They're yes and amen. Not one dot, not one tittle of His word would pass away. That God's yeses are yes and His noes are noes. When God says it, we can believe it and take it to the bank because it's so. That's what the Bible tells us. It says that God, when He makes a covenant or He makes a, a, a promise, He is going to fulfill His promises that He has made. In verse number 5, it says this, it says, according to the word, the Lord talking here, according to the word, I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. What he is saying is, I made a covenant with you all the way back in the Exodus. I told Moses when I was speaking to him at the burning bush, I said, you go to Pharaoh and you tell them, Yahweh, I am that I am has sent you. And you go there and you tell my people, I'm going to take them out of that land. And you tell them, and Moses did it, and he told Moses and the children of Israel, I'm going to take you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. You'll have opposition. You'll have adversity. You'll have challenges. But if you stay true and you trust me and you don't put any other gods before me, I will make sure to see you through into the promised land. And what Haggai is trying to remind the people is the reason we're building a second temple is because God was faithful enough to get us in this place to have a first temple and he was trying to remind the people that God has brought us out before so God can bring us out again he's saying I know we're in captivity I know the Medes and the Persians but if God's been good to us before he can do it again if God before you who can be against you if the Lord's on your side who else do you need he was telling them if God is with us we don't have anything to worry about and God is confirming it through the words of Haggai, saying, I made a covenant with you. I made a covenant with Israel. And I said to you back then that I would keep my spirit with you. I led you by clouds of day, fire, pillars of fire by night. When I got you through to the promised land, through the works of Joshua, even through all the years that you strayed with judges, and you begin this cyclical pattern of, of rebellion and then slavery and then repentance and then judgment and the judges and then peace and then back to the same cycle over and over again. I was with you. And when, when we went through all the tr transgressions and you went through all these seasons, I raised up kings. You asked for a king. But even when you asked for a king, I was with you. The first king started out strong, but then he kind of ventured off. But I found a man after my own heart by the name of David that was playing songs of worship in the backfield of a, of a desert shepherd's field. And he was writing things like the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures I heard that same young man stream on his harp and say praise ye the Lord praise him in the firmament of his power praise him for his excellent greatness praise him with the psaltery the harp the timbrel and the dance let everything that has breath praise the Lord I found the same man that when he'd fall from grace would say many are they that have increased that troubled me and 
many of they that rise up against me and many of them that say of my soul there's no help for them in God but thou O Lord are a shield for me and the glory and the lifter of my head and that man I anointed my spirit through the prophet Samuel and I put him in a palace and even when he veered he was a man after my own heart then I raised up his son to be one of the wisest men of all time to know how to lead these people and how to build the temple and how of all these years Haggai I have been with Israel so now I still will be with you see what Haggai knew what he was telling the people if we go back and look at Abraham Abraham God was with him Abraham I'm going to take you to a land I'm going to soldier you're going to soldier into a land that you don't know of the writer of Hebrews said Abraham was searching for a city whose builder and maker was the Lord. But what Haggai would have been telling the people, his father Abraham, yes, he had many sons, but father Abraham trusted God even when no one else trusted God. God was faithful to Noah when he was building the ark of safety. God was with Moses through the Egyptian era. God was with father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was with David and Solomon. And if God was with them... God will be with us. By verse 6 he says, I will shake the heavens. What is he saying? He's making an announcement of the coming day of God's judgment. It was a prophetic announcement. It not only was referring to the impending judgment of Israel where more seasons, if you will, of opposition and slavery and God's divine intervention would happen but it also was a precursor to the coming the if you will the desire of all nations to the second coming of Christ and the judgment he would bring not only when he came physically into the world but the second time he would come at the end of time see it wasn't Israel has been through this circular pattern and has been under if you will perverse slavery and and and, and under civil unrest and slavery with the Arab people all the way back from the turf wars between Isaac and Ishmael. See, all the Arab unrest that we see with the Jewish people and the Arab people and the Muslimic community is a family war. Ishmael was the father of the Ishmaelites that turned into being the father of the Arab people, which turned into be the father of the Muslimic community. Isaac traveled along the lineage of Abraham from the Jewish perspective. All this unrest is Hatfield and McCoy's of the Bible. This is family wars. We could have really tied this to inheritance in our sermon series if we had wanted to. It's two people arguing over daddy's land. That's really what it is. If we really were to tie this with our inheritance theory, what the Dome of the Rock and the, the area of Jerusalem and all that, that's, we want daddy's land. They all trace, if you study Islamic faith, they'll all trace you to Abraham. You study the Jewish faith, you study the Christian faith. We all travel back to Father Abraham, had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. The Islamic people say, I am one of them. Jewish people say, I'm one of them. The people of God's family, the Christian community say, I am one of them. But the difference is, we don't say, so are you. We don't agree with that. The Jewish people said, I'm Abraham's seed. The Islamic community says, but I'm Abraham's seed. And they're both the right. They're actually right. They took different paths. 
to find God of their father. But in reality, they are right. They are Abraham's seed. And I want to tell you that not only did God throughout the course of from that point all the way until 1948, Israel had bottled turf wars after turf wars after turf wars after turf wars after turf. And it wasn't until 1948 that God's promise came to existence that Israel didn't have to live under slavery. They were a free nation or state recognized as an actual country of their own entity. And ever since 1948, they've not faced anything but hell from that day forward. They have had bombs, bombings. They've had civil unrest. They've had political unrest. They've had jihadist wars on their turf land. They've had nothing short of just complete chaos. It's been awful. It's been terrible. I want to tell you that it is not going to just stop at what happened in 1948. That's not the end. It's not. Because the Bible says that it was going to be a day of judgment, if you will, at the end of time. God's still not done with judging. This is not God's judgment. Now, I know we're living in perilous times. Don't get me wrong. But, but we haven't seen anything of God's judgment really yet. Now, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I don't, I don't really like the way the world's shaping up. And many of us in this room probably don't like the way the world with inflation and everything. We don't like the way the world's looking either. But this is mild compared to God's judgment at the end of time. This don't even come close to comparison to the tribulational periods. This is a cakewalk compared to what the tribulation will look like. We think it's bad now. We just just imagine how much worse it's going to be based on the revelations of God in the last book of this Bible. One third of the entire world just wiped off in a pandemic. One of the bold judgments is going to take one third of the population completely out of existence. That's pretty bad. COVID was horrible. It didn't even take even a really good percentage of the world's population. Not even one good percent. But yet the Bible says in God's wrath, one-third of the entire world's population, if there are over 8 billion people worldwide, you do the math, how many people, what, 33% of 8 billion people will end up being dead just like that. That's, that's, that's pretty rough. That's God's judgment. God said, I'm going to shake the heavens. It's going to happen. And every time in Scripture, so far, until we get to the revelational period, every time God said He was going to do something, He did it. He didn't back down. He told Israel they are going to be in trouble. They were in trouble. He told them He'd deliver them. He delivered them. He told them that He would make rivers in the deserts and he'd make streams in the wastelands he did he told them that God will make a way where there seems to be no way he'd cut pathways out of water if he had to but he'd make a way but if God said enough is enough he meant he had enough we see God all the time we love worshiping God as the lover of our soul the one who sings over us and delights over us we love to see God as one who is tender and nurturing and is and one who just loves us and wants to to nestle up to us and coddle it up. We don't like to think of God as a lawgiver. We don't like to face God as a judge. We don't like to face God as an executioner. And yet in the Bible there were times God was all three of those. He was a lawgiver to Moses with the commandments. He was a judge when sin 
And at the end of time, he's going to be an executioner of eternity. He's going to decide who makes it and who don't. He's going to be a lawgiver, a judge, and he's going to be the jury. He's going to be an executioner. You see, I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm telling you this. <coughs> excuse me. I'm telling you this because I'm telling you you can have an opportunity to avoid that should you make your election call. Sure. I'm telling you today there are times in our lives that we think it's bad here. And I'm telling you if you don't go to heaven, it's far worse than you'll ever imagine. I'm telling you today that there are people that would trade places with you today, right now. I guarantee you if I were to walk into that hospital room and ask Sadie, if somebody else could trade places with you and you didn't have to be here, would you wish you could be out of here? And she'd tell you, yes. She don't want to be in that hospital. She has no choice. That's not what she wants. You know, people like Miss Beulah and others that are homesick, I guarantee you if I called her on the phone and put her the sound system on speaker I guarantee you I said Miss Beulah if you would do you wish you weren't sick and maybe somebody else she might say well pastor I don't wish anybody else to be sick but I certainly don't wish I was sick either see the reality of it is I'm telling you you don't have to face eternity uncertain but if you don't know Jesus you're walking into eternity uncertain and the reality of it is God's promise, if God has proven, the Bible says His promise are forever settled there, yes and amen. If God said He was going to do it, whether you see it now happening or not, don't you worry, it's going to come to pass. Haggai and them had, have, have not yet seen the temple completely filled up with God's glory, but God said He was going to do it, and they believed it because they knew He had done it before. They knew God had made good on His promises before. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 26 and 27 the Bible talks about that impending judgment of nations at the second coming of Christ in verse 7 he said not only will I shake the nations at the coming of the desire of all nations but I will fill this temple with glory what he is saying is I'm going to fill this with my powerful presence I'm going to saturate this house that this will become my house my domain I when you walk through the gates when you walk through the corridors of the hallway when you open up the front door you will know you have entered into the presence of God see prior to this prior to Solomon's temple everything went through the priest in a tabernacle it wasn't a it was a, a portable structure At that point in time during the mosaic era the tabernacle was transportable you picked it up packed it up carried it out but Solomon and David they desired for a permanent place that everybody when they passed by it when they saw it they knew that was a place God resided they could travel all up and down the highway. They could go to the markets. They could go to the cattle fields. They could go, but if they ever passed that building and they could look at the innate beauty of that temple and say that that's where God's presence resides. See, I, I believe that it wasn't so much about the physical structure as much as it was about the symbolism. But every church right now across the street, there's about 150 to 200 people sitting in an auditorium hearing about the presence of God in a CLM graduation. Tonight over here, where two are graduating, and they're hearing about how God brought somebody out and delivered them. And God's promises came to pass. 
we're here and there's other churches that met this morning and maybe even some that are meeting tonight but how wonderful would it be when people drive up the thousands of cars and the census that they've done that drive up 52 and 17a when they pass houses of worship like ours or the community church or others in this community even if they're going to work if they're going to Walmart when they drive by they realize that that building represents God resides there that even if they never visit, they just pass by and they feel an aura or they feel a presence. Or when they drive by and as soon as they pass the first entrance sign and they pass it, they feel something change in their car driving in this little stretch of property realizing, I don't know, I've never been in that building and I've never been in that worship service, but there's something about that place that where God stays over there. They see it, they know God's there. I'm going to take it a step further. But what about when they see us? You see, that symbolism was God's glory. And Jesus came into the earth in Luke chapter 2. It says that Jesus came to be dedicated and Simeon was led by the Spirit to the temple when Jesus happened to be there for his christening or his eight-day-old celebration. And Simeon uh, prophesied that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. What did I just read to you? The Bible said that he was going to fill the place with his glory. Simeon said when Jesus showed up, the glory was here for Israel. The glory had arrived. When Jesus comes into your heart, into your life, He brings the glory of God with Him. So everywhere we go, we can have the glory of God with us everywhere we go. He's with us. Not only do we see in this moment in time that there was a promise of God, God also made provisions verse 8 he says don't worry about how you're going to fund it you know if, if Zerubbabel and Joshua were like good pastors today their first question is going to be at brother Larry at the council meeting when they're sitting around drafting up the plans before they go to the architect the first thing the pastor is going to ask is this question how much is this going to cost us I'm going to tell you right now I do love indoor plumbing. I do. We sat down in that council meeting and we just we were looking over how much it costs for y'all to have flushing toilets. I considered outhouses. I'm not gonna lie to you. When they said the only way we can fix what y'all have going on is not a you know, little snake or plunging out, we're gonna have to draw another septic tank and we're gonna have to have a pump and then we're gonna have to light indicator in the pump. It's gotta go through. It'll cost you about ten thousand dollars. I said, How much is a porta potty? Are those cheaper? How much does it cost a month for you to come pick those up? Now, most of you would not want that, and I get that. But I'm just telling you, because I thought $10,000 to just be able to go to the bathroom. There are people that lived in your family that used outhouses. They didn't have this luxury. Brother Dennis's family is the only one, but some folks did. He remembers those days. <laughs> I remember one time I was out with some friends. We went to an area where... We went to the to uh, I believe it was, uh, it was I think it was actually at Edisto Beach one time if I'm not mistaken we went out there and there's no bathrooms out there you know you go to Fall you go to Isla Palms you've got the little stations and things like that Edisto Beach it's it's pretty desolate you know and and, and, and so one of the one of the gentlemen one of the young men was like well I got to the restroom and my buddy said tough luck <laughs> there's no 
restroom out here. See, I, I can imagine Zerubbabel and Haggai and all of them, Zerubbabel and Joshua were, 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 were getting these instructions and they, they, and, and, and they grabbed the 50,000 people and they headed back to Jerusalem and they were, they were going to Lowe's to see how much uh, plywood they needed and they were going to Home Depot to figure out how many nails they were going to need and they were getting their supplies. Somebody in the crowd had to ask, how are we going to pay for this? We're a slave. We don't even have money. We are enslaved. We don't even own our own freedom. How are we going to build a building? We can't even afford to live on our own. Think about it. We are owned by some other country. How are we going to afford it? It kind of sounds like the United States sometimes, doesn't it? When somebody else owns us. I mean, we know we have tariffs and barters with all these other nations, but we're in so many trillion dollars a day, none of us are going to live long enough to see that debt go down to zero. Ever. They were worried about it. I would. You tell me we're getting ready to build a mega monstrosity of a building and we're going to lay it with gold and we're going to have all these beautiful ornate structures and features and the latest and greatest sound and lights. My first question is, how much is this going to cost? And when they come back and tell me, oh, Pastor, to build that building is going to cost you $1.5 million, I'm going to be like, we'll go to six services. It's cheaper. We'll just have church all day long. We'll start at 8.30 to 8.30 at night. We'll just have multiple services. It's cheaper. But God took care of that question too. Because when Haggai and all them are praying, God, how are we going to do this? You told us to go do this. You know we're enslaved. You know that we have gotten favor with the foreign kings. But God, how are we going to afford it? God said, don't worry about it. Well, look what he says. How are we going to pay for it? Don't worry about that because I own the silver. And I also own the gold. If I want it done, I can afford it is what God's saying. If I want it done, I don't need your money. I can pay for it myself. For a parent, there is nothing more enjoyable to hear than when their son or daughter grows up and says, I don't need you to pay for it, mom or dad. I can take care of the bill this time. That's like you dying and going to heaven. You think you're going to die. Deathly silence. I appreciate that. Praise the Lord. Because for the last umpteen hundred years, you paid for Zaxby's. You paid for McDonald's. You paid for Cracker Barrel. But when, Corey, they walk into the room and Madison goes, Hey, Dad, don't worry about it. I got your bill today. You're like, Oh, God, I know some, what's coming down the pike I don't know of. That's not my child. Aliens have invaded my child. It's an extraterrestrial being. It's shocking. Because you're floored. They can provide for themselves. They don't need you necessarily to do it. I mean, Haggai and them were concerned, but God said, don't worry about it. If I want it to be done, I don't need your money. I can afford it. I can pay for it. I have the ability. When David told God, God, I want to build you a temple. In First Chronicles, God, I want to build you a temple. And he told Solomon, he said, Solomon, I've already tried to start getting some of the materials. I ain't got them all, but I've, I've got a friend over here in this side of town. Brianna says all the time I'm running for office, political office in Berkeley County because I know everybody in town. She says every time something happens, even her own family will say now, well, call John. He's probably got a connection with somebody in that line of work. I do most of the time. We were doing something not too long ago, and I made a phone call, and somebody said, oh, let me guess. It was one of his connections. I said, yes, it was. All it is is a nice smile, a handshake, and make them think you're smart. And it works every time. The reality of it is we 
In that moment, even in 1 Chronicles, David said, son, I, I talked to my buddy over here who's the king of this group, and I asked them, could we borrow some of their trees? They're known for their big cedars. And he and I are buddies. We went to lunch one time, and I said, I won't kill you if you don't kill me. And that both sounded like a good idea, and we decided we'll just be nice to each other. So I called my, my friend Hiram up over there in, in Lebanon, and I said, hey, man, can I borrow some trees? And he said, for what? And I said, well, we're going to build a house for God. But you have the best trees in town. So he's already started working on getting some collectors of that. And I, I called my buddy over here to collect some things. And Solomon learned that philosophy. If you're not networking, you're not working. Because when David died, Solomon called up Hiram and said, Hey, I heard my dad said he was trying to get some of your cedars. We need them. And Hiram said, I tell you what, I won't, I'll not only give you the cedars. I'll have my men cut them down for you. Now that's favor. He didn't say, come on down here, bring your own axe and chainsaw. Ask Brother Dennis and Brother Henry if they can bring the trailer when you come to pick it up. And you all come over here and cut down the tree yourself, load it up, and bring it back to your church. No, no, no. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll have them deliver it to you. We'll build rafts with it and send it off. And I'll have somebody pilot the raft so that all you've got to do is unload it in your front yard. That's pretty good. And he didn't even cost them, he didn't even charge them a delivery fee like Lowe's. It's good stuff. Solomon got connected with some people who knew how to do stuff with, with metals and woodwork, I mean metals and precious stones. And he said, hey, I need your skills to make this whole place plated with gold. He started asking the people of God to bring things. Before long, the whole temple was provided with gold, silver, everything. The walls were cast in gold. The pillars were cast in gold. In fact, uh, historians, even the Bible describes it, but, but historians have, have come to say that there was nothing more beautiful than the Temple of Solomon. It was like a wonder of the world. Everybody in that time period came to see it because they could not fathom how beautiful it is. In fact, the Queen of Sheba came all the way from another country because she had heard about this Temple of Solomon. She had to see it to believe it. But God provided it. Debt free. See, I'm a firm believer. This is going to rock you with theology. That's okay. But I'm a firm believer. You don't have to sell it if God wants it. You'll get it in a minute. If God wants you to have it, you ain't got to sell it to pray for it. Listen, I'm not saying the people that have served all their years serving chicken dinners and selling chicken dinners and selling chicken bog plates. I'm not bashing people who sell plates to pay off this or pay off that. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you, when God wants it paid off, he'll send somebody to hand you a check. You ain't can tell me otherwise. I lived through an era where people walked in and handed you $75,000 and said, finish the job. That's a good day on the office. I didn't sell nothing. I even bought their breakfast, or the preacher at the time, even bought their breakfast because he felt nice about it. He gave them a $5 omelet for a $75,000 check. That's a good investment. If I knew somebody was going to give me $75,000, I'll buy their omelet at Eggs Up Grill for the rest of their life. That's a good trade-off. Because if God wants it finished, he'll pay the bill. You're going to have to sell everything you own. Look, I'm not bashing people who sell things. Don't get me wrong. I'm just telling you, you don't always have to sell it for God to provide it. God can provide it on his own. He can afford it. You know how I know? Because I've been here a little over three and a half years. And I've watched where we've had to pay big expenses. But then literally from the end of June to the 1st of, of August, we had to shell $20,000 out of our budget overnight. $10,000 for flooring, 
$10,000 for setback. And literally about a three-week window, I lost, we lost $20,000 out of our budget. That's a big hit to any medium to smaller size church. There are some churches in this own community that if they lost, that are bigger than us, if they lost $20,000 overnight in their budget, it crippled them for a while. That run even more than we run. And I'm not sitting here saying we don't need to pay it back. I'm sitting here telling you, but we ain't broke either. We lost the 20 grand out of our budget one month before we're supposed to give a financial report and still ended up in the black and still had money in the bank on top of shelling that kind of money out. Don't tell me God doesn't provide if he knows you need it. We didn't have to sell one. I didn't have to have one fundraiser to have flushing toilets. I didn't have to ask for 35 chicken dinners to be sold for us to be able to put flooring down. Oh, it was a big expense, but we could afford it because God had paid for it. He helped us pay for it. You say, well, Pastor, I, my tithes and offerings helped do that. Well, if you didn't have a job, you wouldn't have offerings and tithes to give. And if God didn't give you a brain, you wouldn't know how to do your job. And if God didn't help you have life where you can breathe to get up in the morning to go, you wouldn't have that. So I guess all in all, God did pay for it, even if he used you as the mule to get it done. Hello? Good preaching if you're not church of God. God provides. How do I know? He provided for Zerubbabel. In fact, the psalmist David made it very clear in Psalms 50 and 10, the beasts are mine, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, every bird of the mountains and all that moves belongs to me, says the Lord. What God is saying is you own nothing. You're broke. I don't care if you're a multi-millionaire. You're broke. I paid for that. That's why I always get comical when people say I can't afford a tithe. You cannot not afford the tithe. You don't own it. <laughs> people say, well, Pastor, I don't, think, I don't think I can pay my tithe. You better be lucky you got money in the bank talking like that. The next thing you know is God might take your money, too, because it ain't yours. Look, I came from a generation... I was raised in, and I'm sorry, get mad at my parents for it. It's their fault why I am the way I am, and, you know, it is what it is. I was raised in a generation, you paid God first before you even bought groceries. You paid God first even if the light bill was due on Tuesday, and you were short in the bank already on Monday. You paid God the tithes and offerings even if you didn't have gas in your car to go to work on Monday. Yeah, you got people that's got more than a surplus and don't give God nothing. You better be lucky he hadn't cursed it and took everything you've got. Because if God curses it, the Bible said it'd be like holding a bag full of sand with holes in it. It'll just drop right out. You won't even be able to hold it anymore. It belongs to God to start with. Then he finally says, not only do I provide it, but he finishes off in verse number 9. He says this. He says, the glory, the latter house, this latter temple shall be greater than the former. What he's telling Haggai Zerubbabel, if you thought Solomon's temple was spectacular, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, the easiest thing to do is to not realize, but what he's really saying is, my presence is what makes the difference. It ain't the gold. And it ain't the silver. It's my presence that makes the difference. Now, if you read this on the surface, you first think when you read this, you first think that this must be talking about the temple they're getting ready to finish. And to some degree, it can be taken literal. But this was not just a literal statement of the temple they were working on. It was a prophetic statement of the things to come, the coming of the Messiah. 
See, what I'm telling you is there are some pretty spectacular churches. I mean, I've been to some churches that have some nice buildings. I got to go in San Antonio, Texas with John Hagee's facility. That's a nice building. I mean, that's nice. I told Brianna, I was like, I could pastor here. I like this place. This is pretty. She said, no, you can't. I said, why not? She said, because your last name ain't Hagee. You ain't going to pastor here. I said, you're right. That's kind of sewed up in this joint. I mean, it was nice. I mean, the seats were, they were nice. They had running aisle lights. They had all these lights. Man, it was, it was like, it was, it was impressive. They had parking lot. I mean, you look like you were walking to a mall. Parking lot, parking lot attendants. Golf cart rides to the front door. I thought I could get used to this. I mean, I'm sure Pastor Hagee and his son don't have to ride the golf cart. They probably got somebody driving them to church on Sunday. But, I mean, that's nice. That was nice. I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, that building was huge. Gorgeous. I walked in some churches. Faith Assembly just did a, a $4 million, $4 million job there in Somerville. I got a tour in it not too long ago, right before opening day, because I know some of those people. I got a tour, and I walked in there, and I was stunned. I was like, holy smokes, this is what $4 million buys? I need a $4 million friend. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. What God was really saying is, it, it, it's, you can have the gold on the wall. That, that ain't what's going to make the glory of the house, of this house, better than the former. Because the, the churches in days gone by may not have had gold-plated walls. They might have had paneling walls. But they had something better than gold-plated walls in that room. What God was saying to the people is, you might have some pretty buildings, but it ain't the pretty buildings that people are going to come for. They're going to be coming in the last days, says the Lord. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions even upon the handmaidens. And male servants will I pour out my spirit. What God is really saying is, you're going to have some nice buildings, but it ain't going to be the buildings why they show up. It's going to be who's in the building is why they show up. The building might look nice, but whether or not you've got the $4 million Ephesus or you've got a $150,000 place of worship, if you get me in it, they're going to know that this house is greater than the former house. And what he's saying is he's going to turn it around. David. When he realized the Ark of the Covenant was blessing other people's houses, you know what he did? <laughs> he called for the Ark to come to him. <laughs> you know, the Ark of the Covenant was coming back to Jerusalem, but the oxen, they put it on a cart. The oxen stumbled, and, and Yuzza put his hand out, and he died, and David freaked out. And he's like, whoa, 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 I don't want that in my house. I don't want nobody to die. Y'all send it to Obed-Edom's house. Let him die. Don't let me die. And they send it to Obed-Edom's house. They put it in Obed-Edom's backyard somewhere, and little hole in this house somewhere and God said the Bible said God started blessing Obed-Edom's house like crazy I mean he's just everything he touched God's blessing one after another and David goes well wait a minute now I'm the king here I want that blessing you have to understand what did the Ark of the Covenant represent it represented the tangible presence of God what David's really saying is if God's living with him I want God to live with me I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm the one the Holy Spirit is. I want God to live with me. So he sends for it to him. You see, the glory of God is the thing that makes the difference. It brings one into worship. It's the one that changes the heart of a believer. It's God's Spirit that makes the difference in the building. And it's not the singing. It's not the preaching. It's God's Spirit that takes over the service. Because when he becomes into the room, 
all dignification goes out the window because David said, honey, I'll become even more undignified than this. If God's moving, I ain't worried about what people think about me as the king. I'm going to worship before I sit on the throne. He, he didn't care. Paul refers to our bodies as the temple of the Holy Ghost or the tabernacle of God. We are the modern day temple of Christ. Our bodies. See, what I'm trying to tell you, church, and I'm getting ready to close, what I'm trying to tell you is we can build a 500-seat auditorium with the greatest light, sound, and projection out there, but if God's glory doesn't go with us, we've, done, we've lost it all. It doesn't matter. If we leave from this building and one day go to that building, but God doesn't transfer with us, we've messed up. We've messed up. Sure, I would love. To have a big auditorium for us to fill the people in, to be able to tell them about Jesus Christ. Sure, I would love to preach to hundreds of people and tell them Jesus loves them. Sure, I would love for us to have the greatest lights and sounds and projections and have the stuff for the kids and the youth. Sure, I would love this church to be a difference maker. That would be wonderful. But if God's not with us, no, I don't want to go. I'm kind of like Moses with the tabernacle. If God's not moving, I'm not moving. If God says go, we'll go. If God says stay put, you better as well just put your feet in the sand. We're staying. Because His presence makes the difference. When I talk about the beautiful, the glory of the former, of the latter house will be greater than the former. It's not just about the building. It's about you being God's presence carriers. You being the glory of God. How you live. Miss Garrett, you make your way. Listen to what the words of the Lord says in Psalms 24. Verse 7, throughout verse number 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. For the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Who is he? Is the Lord strong and mighty? Mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. That the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? He is the Lord of hosts, and he is the king of glory what he's saying is the writer is saying a psalm david wrote what he is saying is it's god's spirit it's the glory everybody pay attention god's here doors open up gates open up cities open up communities open up homes open up let the glory of the lord let his presence come in lift him up and let him draw nigh unto you David is telling him is he's here you want his presence welcome him in the place so I believe every time we come to this house we're supposed to bring God with us it ain't just God stays here on Monday night and waits for us to come back until we get here on Wednesday or Sunday some of y'all when y'all leave here after snack night I hope you're gonna take God with you because he's you're the temple of the Holy Spirit so I'm hoping God's going home with you tonight somewhere when you come back on Wednesday night I hope you decide to bring him with you we could use him the next Sunday morning when you come hey do me a favor bring him back we, we need him bring him with you don't wait for brother Marion to bring him to you in Sunday school don't wait for sister Sherry to introduce you to him when she's singing don't wait for brother Randy to teach about it or when he's doing scripture and prayer you bring him with you when you come so we're sure that he came with somebody to church you bring him you bring him See, we can't worry about what God's doing across town. We got we to gotta anticipate and participate. Quit spectating. We've got to be here and say, okay, God, we're your temples. 
we'll lift up our heads and our hands. We'll make ourselves vulnerable, and we're asking you, the King of glory, to come down and come in. See, the reality of it is, as much and as beautiful as buildings are, nothing is more beautiful than the feet of them that carry the gospel. Jesus Christ. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of them that carry the gospel. Buildings are great, but God so much more loves when someone finds Jesus than he does about how pretty your building looks. Because his glory is not confined to a box, to a building. His glory is to be released so that everywhere you go, his presence goes before you. See, we sing this song all the time. We, we sing the, the blessing every time, or we at least read it, pray over it. We always sing, you know, Lord bless you, Lord keep you, his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. You know, lift up his countenance, all that stuff. You know, oh man, we sing it sometimes. But, but there's a tag in that song. We don't sing it very often when we sing it, but there's a tag in that song that says this. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you and within you for your family, for your children. What does he say? Listen to what the line was saying. May his presence go before you get there. Let his presence be a hedge of protection behind you. Let His presence encamp all around you. Not only that, but let His presence live within you. And everywhere you go, He goes too. That's what God wants. He wants to go with us, be with us. When we talk about beholding the glory, it's not about our building. It's about when you stand in front of that mirror and you look at yourself in the mirror one day this week, you should be able to see the glory of God radiating on your life. If Moses could have a glow about him coming off the mountain, you can have a glow in your heart looking at yourself in the mirror saying, I've been with God today, and he and I have had a conversation. And I tell you what, you don't have to say it. You may not physically glow like Moses, but when you've been with God, can I tell you other people will notice you've been with God too? They'll come by and realize, hey, there's something different about those people. They'll know you come with God. And I ain't talking about just your hairdo. I'm talking about you can walk by and just walk by and just have a 30-second conversation with somebody and you can figure it out real good. They got something in them. You can walk into Walmart and place like that and shake hands with somebody or see somebody you haven't seen in a long time. Like, hey, brother, sister, how you doing? And just in the, that quick exchange, you realize there's something different about them because you can recognize the glory of God because they carry his presence with them. May we all be presence carriers of his glory. Let's bow for prayer. Eternal Father, to the very best of my ability, I have a preached on adulterated word. Father, I pray that you would go before us, behind us, beside us, and within us. And protect us. Father, as we get ready to spend some time together in food and fellowship and sharing together God life. Lord, as we laugh, hang out together. Let us not forget we are ambassadors and carriers of your presence. God, we want to say one more time today, thank you for the miracles we have seen you do this just this week. We don't want to take it for granted that you have done exceedingly and abundantly and above that which we can think or comprehend. You've done exceptionally far and above. So we honor you and we thank you for that. Father, we also today, Lord, want to ask you to help the ones that have watched online or those that are homebound, Lord, we have so many that we know that they are in need of a touch from heaven. And the only person that can do it is you. 
Father, I pray as we get ready to segue to the back that you would go with us. May you bless us and keep us. Your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts until you come again. And may the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts forever be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and blessed Redeemer. In the name of the Father and Son and Spirit, we pray. The people of God said amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand all over the house. I know typically it's a benediction prayer, but we're going to do a little bit different. We're going to have a prayer over the food so you don't forget to pray over your food that's in the back. I would ask you if you either go outside and go down the sidewalk or go out this door right here. Please don't go out these if you can help it, just because we don't want to be right in the middle of the way of the ladies that are helping get that ready. There's plenty of food and fellowship. Stay. You don't have to stay forever.